The lie of the enemy says things will never change, but Jesus Christ changes everything. He changes life as we know it. I ask, I ask the God of our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning to know him personally. Your eyes focus and clear so that you can see what he's, exactly what he's called you to do, to grasp the immensity of this glorious way of living that he has for Christ's followers, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust in him. Endless energy, boundless strength. And all this energy issues from Christ. God raised him up from death and set him on a throne in deepest heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. No name, no power exempt from his rule. He's in charge of it all. And not just for the time being, but forever. He has the final word on everything. And at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in whom he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his glorious presence. That was a prayer prayed for you nearly 2,000 years ago for the believers by a man named Paul. And it still has power today as I pray it for this church. There's another prayer that was prayed for future believers in John 17 by our Savior Jesus. And I want to look at that but I want to ask you a question first. Why are we still here? Why, as the ecclesia, the called out ones, why are we still here? Last week, we, we talked about how the ecclesia, or in, in Latin, ecclesial, the, everything that has to do with the church, the called out ones. The church is not a what, it's a who. We're a people called out by God. but why are we still here? I mean, if Jesus has transformed us and we are being transformed presently and there's even still work in transforming us yet still to be done, we're not complete, why doesn't Jesus just whisk us away to heaven right now? What, I mean, why, why the bother of this transformation process? Why the bother of us being here all this time. He's got a reason. He's got a purpose. And every human being asks, why am I here? I want to tell you today that God answers that question. And Jesus points, us, points it out for us right here in John 17. Before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed, I have revealed you, Father, to those whom you gave me out of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. And even as you have loved, loved me, you have loved them. From his prayer, we know one reason the called out ones, the church, 
is still in this world is because Jesus asked for it. Jesus asked for it. And it's through you, church, that he wants the world to know the love of the Father through Jesus Christ. The Lord still has us here because he wants us to reveal Jesus to the world through our lives. And that's not perfect, pretty, picture-perfect lives. That's lives with, with all the fissures and cracks in us and the light of Christ pouring out through those fissures and cracks. You see, it, it's not about you being such a great student of Jesus and you got it all together because you, you listened and you, you, you did it. You disciplined yourself and, and you made yourself something. You're almost that self-made man. No, no, or self-made woman. No, it's not that. There are no self-made people in, in the kingdom of God. We're all made by Christ. And he is the one who holds us together and holds all our pieces and brings unity to our lives. All the, the disintegrated parts he brings together. And yet, there are still those cracks and fissures because we're not complete yet. It's through that. And in the scripture you see this. For God said, let the light shine out of the darkness. And he made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure, the glory of Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Where are the jars? Cracks, fissures, and everything and all. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The called out ones are made to reveal Jesus in their everyday, ordinary lives. This is the mission, what we are to do, but it's also who we're made to be. Our very identity. Listen to these identity statements Jesus speaks of you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We are ambassadors, as though Christ were making his plea through us. How great is the love of the Father that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. We reveal Christ, not merely because it's what we're supposed to do. We reveal him because it's who we are. Our identity has been changed. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. The church is to reveal Jesus so that the world might know the love of the Father. It's why we are still here. It's not just our thing to do, but we reveal in our everyday lives by being. Be salt, be light, be ambassadors, be those jars of clay. Another big reason that the ecclesia, the called out ones are still here, is found in more of Jesus' parting words to his followers. He says this, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples, my followers. You did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So what is this fruit that brings glory to God? It is the fruit or the, the character of the very Spirit of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. If we 
His called out ones are being who we are made to be. We will bear this fruit. It's inevitable. Like a tree of a certain variety, say like an apple tree, is made to grow and bear apples. So a Christ follower is made to grow and bear fruit of the Spirit. Fruit on a tree is what attracts us many times to a tree. We see it. We, we want, we'll look at it. We want to reach out and touch it. We want to grab it. We even want to taste it. People are hungry for good fruit. When people taste and see this fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, they taste the goodness of the Lord and they want to go to the source. They want to go to Jesus. Fruit is the part of the plant where where the seeds reside and how a plant or a tree reproduces itself. There are times when that fruit it's coming off of you, and people taste it, family, friends. And all of a sudden, that seed of faith is planted in them. And all of a sudden, they're putting their trust in Jesus Christ. It's like life has been reproduced. It's been spread. The gospel, the power of the gospel has gone on. Jesus said that he has called you to bear fruit that will last and that he desires us to bear much fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Bear much fruit to bring glory to the Father. And there's one more reason why the church is here. In the letter to the called out ones in Asia Minor, the Apostle Peter writes, each person should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You are here to use the gift God gave you. To diakoniso, God's grace. That's a Greek word that they used to describe those who waited on tables serving others. But in the sense that Christ followers used it, used this word, it was, it was in, involved in, in, a, in a compassionate love towards the needy and the labor it would take to meet their needs. Jesus hasn't taken you out of this world. He's given you something that you're to offer to this needy world. And you're going to have to expend some energy to extend that grace. It won't happen passively as you sit in your lazy boy rocker. This verse succinctly describes what other larger passages of Scripture say about spiritual gifts. Each of the called out ones has received grace and along with that grace, a spiritual gift. Secondly, that gift is not to benefit ourselves but to benefit others for God's mission. It's not about me, myself, and I but to use this gift for others, for God's mission. So saying that again, here are three large reasons the called out ones are still here today and why the church exists. One, we're here to reveal Jesus in our everyday lives, not by just what we do, but by who also we just are. Two, we're here to bear fruit that, or, the, or produce qualities and character in our lives that bring glory to God. Three, we're here to serve God's grace by whatever spiritual gift we've received from God. These are three significant scriptural reasons why the church exists. A person could find more reasons, but these three ultimately show that the called out ones are still here on the planet to bring glory to God. Glory is one of those churchy words. We've kind of forgotten really what it means. 
But Jesus uses it a lot in, in this prayer, doesn't he? In, in, in John 17, he says, Father, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Father, I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Further on in his prayer, Father, he says, Father, I pray for my followers. Glory has come to me through them. I have given them the glory you gave me. What? He's given us his. That they may be as one as we are one. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you've loved me before the creation of the world. Father, I've made you known to the world and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. That's a lot of glory. Glory, glory, glory. He says it over and over and over again. Glory, meaning the presence of God. Glory, meaning the worship and boasting that should only go to God. Glory, meaning the things that are the freaky, holy things that put us in awe of God, like Jesus speaking and wind and waves obeying. Like the believers in a room and the presence of God showing up and shaking the very physical room. That kind of glory. But right now, I hope you see and hear Jesus' excitement and yearning for you to experience the glory of God, to experience God's presence. Not just for later, when, when we see him face to face and it's that awe-shaking, I'm in the presence of God. But even right now, by his Holy Spirit, his presence within you, the glory of God within you. Jesus yearns for you to experience that, to be one with him. He also yearns for the day when we're fully complete and you'll get to see that amazing glory that he's had with the Father. And one day we'll be able to experience that full glory. And he doesn't want us to miss out on that. I know some of you might be like, glory. I, I just want to see it. I want to see some of this glory. I just want you to know Jesus was God's glory revealed. You can see it in him. Just look at the cross. The glory of God and something terrible and painful is that? Yes. Blood of Christ. Shed for you and me. Jesus Christ lifted up for you and me to do what God needed him to do, to bring us back to him. Jesus was God's glory revealed. The Father glorified the Son, and all Jesus wanted to do was to give that glory back to the Father. In the same way, Jesus has given us his glory. And what are we to do with it? We're to reflect it back to Jesus. Just like Jesus reflected the glory of God and gave it back to the Father, we're to do that. He is our sun, and we are the moon, and we reflect it back to him. We have no light in and of ourselves. The light comes from him. And Jesus says, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You 
are still here to reveal Christ. You bring Him glory by revealing Him. But are you covering yourself up, hiding away like Adam and Eve did in the garden, full of shame and guilt? You know, is it somehow embarrassing to share where Christ rescued your heart because it reveals your weakness? You know, you can look back on your past and see some stupid things that you've done where you really messed up, where Christ has forgiven you. But if you look back on that and you still feel guilt and shame, I just want to say, I think there's more of God's grace you need to receive. I think there's more forgiveness that you need because what I know of God's grace and forgiveness is that it washes away shame and guilt. And those who have really experienced that to the depth of their core, when they look back on the stupid things of their life where God forgave them, they look back and they don't see something embarrassing. They don't see something they, like, like, ooh, I, I just look horrible and I don't want to talk about that part of my life. Instead, it's like, look what Jesus did. Man, he wiped away all that mess I made. And look what he did. That is amazing. Look at Jesus. And all of a sudden, it's not about looking at you and how embarrassing it was. All the words out of your mouth are, look at what Jesus did. Look what he did with this ragged life. You see, we reveal Christ even in our weaknesses, in those spots. It's your story. And isn't Christ's power made perfect in weakness? You need to take on the attitude of of Paul. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Don't be ashamed of Christ and what he has done in your life. On the day he returns, he'll be ashamed of you. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. You don't have to be ashamed. You can be excited about what he's done. You are here to bear good fruit, but it brings glory because it brings glory to God. But are you instead bearing the opposite kind of fruit, the fruit of sin? Instead of living by the Spirit, you're gratifying your sinful nature and its desires. And and when you do it, it produces this sin fruit or, or, or sinful acts and it's hanging off of you. And, and that fruit or these sinful acts, you, you'll find lists in the Bible of what those are listed here in Galatians. They can be forgiven and wiped out. But sometimes maybe there's some of you that go, you know what? Look, I, I don't, I don't want to do any of those sinful acts. I don't, I don't want any of that sin fruit in my life. In fact, I don't really have a problem with any of that. I just want to be a good moral person. But neither do I want to be one of those Christian fanatics. I, mean, I don't want to do any of that good stuff either. I, I, I'm just, I just want to be neutral. I just want to be neutral. You know what that is? That's a tree that produces no fruit. That's not good. That's not what Jesus wants for you. 
like a tree that produces no fruit. If you're an apple tree, but you have no apples, you're still an apple tree. You know, if you're a, a sinner tree, you can take off all the sinful acts, the little sin apples, and look, look, I'm a nice clean tree. I don't have any of that sin fruit on me. But you know what? You're still a sin tree. But if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you're a whole new tree. <laughs> You've been changed from within. And so you're made to produce good fruit. It's inevitable. But I want you to know there are things that will hinder producing fruit. And maybe there's some things that are hindering producing good fruit in your life. And if that's the case, you've got to remove what's hindering it. You know, you're here to administer, to serve God's grace because it brings glory to God. You have a gift that's been given to you by the Spirit. What are you doing with that gift? Are you, are you hogging it to yourself? Use it to serve yourself? It was given to you to benefit others, not yourself. The gift given to you by the Spirit is to be used in the Spirit, in line with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Do you know what sort of gift God has given you? Or is that still a mystery to you? You need to find out so that you can start participating in God's mission in a greater measure. I'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. But what I want to say is that the call-out ones are still here to ultimately bring glory to God. Then seeking our own glory is nothing but a diversion from our purpose. Seeking our own glory is a diversion from our purpose. If you're not revealing Christ, if you're not bearing fruit, if you're not serving the grace that was freely given to you and, and, and serving it to others, you know what you're doing? You're denying God's purpose for your life. You're not fulfilling your purpose. What are you here for? It's these things. There's one other thing that, that just needs to be addressed here. And it could be the, one of the things that hinders you from bringing glory to God. It hinders you from administering grace, bearing fruit, and revealing Christ in your everyday life. And it might be think, this thing called vanity. Vanity is, is just when you think about yourself. Some people, in, in older ways, they say, call it vainglory. Meaning, thinking about yourself, bringing glory to yourself all the time. You see, I'm, I'm worried about what people will think about me if I try to bring glory to God. In that vanity, saying that? Because really, why do we need to worry about what other people think about us? Why don't we worry about what people think of God? Isn't that what we should be concerned about? Don't we want people to have high regard for him? It doesn't matter if they have high regard for me or you. It's about him. If there's vanity, we need to repent of it. Turn, turn around. It's, 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 it's going this way and then turning this way. It's a change of our mind and saying, I'm not going to think about wanting to bring honor and glory to my name. I'm going to think about giving glory and honor to his name. And isn't that what Jesus prayed for in the Lord's Prayer? Lord, may your name be hallowed and revered and given glory to him. 
The band's going to come up and we're going to continue our worship. And I, I want to close with the words that followed that prayer from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians. It continues on. It says, It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then expelled disobedience. We all did it, did it. All of us doing what we wanted to do when we felt like doing it whenever we wanted to do it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. But instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did this all on his own without any help from us. And then he picked us up and set us in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea. It's all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play a major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that, that it was all about us, that we did it all on our own. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. And what's the work Jesus is doing? Bringing glory to the Father revealing him, bearing fruit. And he's called us to join him in that. The good work he's gotten ready for us to do, the work we'd better be doing. Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus. Lord, work in us. Show us if there's something that's hindering us from bearing fruit. Show us if we're still covering ourselves, trying to hide the work you've done because we still haven't experienced the wiping away of shame and guilt by your wonderful forgiveness. Lord, show us the gift that you've given us. Lord, help your people today. And thank you for the great kindness that you've shown us, embracing us with that incredible love and that immense mercy. Lord, help us not to be ashamed. Thank you for calling us out, making us the ecclesia. Help us to live like the called out ones. In Jesus' name, amen.